Hello and welcome to History in Reverse, a father-daughter science fiction podcast. Today we will be talking about the new movie Avatar, Way of the Water. Hello and welcome to History in Reverse. My name is Caroline and I'm here with my father, Richie. Hello. And we just saw... The best movie ever, Avatar Way of the Water. <laughs> so this is emergency podcast unscheduled about uh, to discuss this particular movie. Yes, um, that we loved so much. It was so good. All, all the critics have to are... be so sarcastic to begin <laughs> with. All the critics are saying how good it is. Isn't it? So it's an amazing feat. James Cameron's most amazing feat that needed 13 years to be produced. So actually, I mean, I think this one thing we should start with is this is a sequel to a movie that was made 13 years ago. And the first Avatar, you saw the first Avatar when it came out, right? Yeah, yeah, of course. I loved it when it first came out. I was really into it. It was very cutting edge for its time, like for the year. It was like 2010. Well, do you, do we want to just briefly review the plot of the original one? I mean, or, or just the basic Yeah, idea. yeah, but I want to I just want to like put posit this in like in terms of like the first one was kind of this like breakout movie it was like very popular like very intensely watched and talked about and then it kind of fell off the face of the earth and for 13 years no one really talked about it there was always these kind of whisperings like oh there's going to be a whole series of them but like nobody was really into it and I think one thing we should talk about maybe at the end of our podcast when we're done recapping and sort of analyzing it is was it worth it to do this movie, the second one, 13 years later. And apparently there's like five of them planned. So there's some like insane I don't, I number. Don't know. Yeah. So, I, and James Cameron said in like an interview that he waited until now to do the movie because he was waiting for the technology to catch up to be able to do what he wanted. Mm. There was nothing in this movie that couldn't have been done five, six years ago. No, I think some of the visual stuff, the underwater scenes, probably required more computer power than what's available ten years ago. So. I don't think oh. so. I don't think so because there are video games that have there are video games from like the early yeah, 2000s yeah, that have really good water to, graphics. To produce, to produce a movie, you require a lot more computer power, and it's probably maybe it existed, but it's probably too expensive. So now you can I do it on your iPhone. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think I think back in when the first movie came out, sure, maybe it wasn't there yet, but. It was certainly there five years ago. We've had, you know, movies with great CGI coming out for a long time. But anyway, so yeah, you want to talk about the most miraculous plot? Well, let's just re review the setting, right? So Avatar. So first of all, the, the name Avatar refers to the this science fiction idea that was in the first movie where the humans arrived on this planet named Pandora. I don't know why they picked that. Name. I went. That's but such a such a weirdly on the nose name. Strange. <laughs> why? It's it's very negative. Well, because it's Pandora, like Pandora's box. Like you don't want right. to. Yeah. yeah. Pandora. Cause... Pandora's box was was basically released all the suffering on the humans. So I mean, there's. Well, I think the, on... I think that's that's one thing is that Pandora the planet is very dangerous for humans, which is why they need the avatars, as you're saying. Right, so the idea was with the avatars was that human kind of climbed into this little coffin and connected electronically to basically a person of the local uh, 
uh, race. What are they called? The Nabi. The Nabi, yeah. Right, which are kind of big, tall, tall blue people. Mm-hmm. And then basically you kind of remotely operated this 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 avatar, and that's how you interacted with with the people. And there was, you know, there was a group of scientists who were studying them, and there was also the the bad corporate guys who wanted to exploit the planet mm-hmm. because in the first movie they wanted to get the unobtainium. Was the, <laughs> They wanted to get the unobtainium, and it seemed that the in the first movie there was an implication that the, the this magical mineral unobtainium was created by the fact that Pandora has this interconnectedness. So like all the plants and animals in on Pandora seem to be connected, sort of like a brain. And like the biggest concentration of unobtainium was under the most like important tree, tree that everybody connects to for the Navi and. That therefore they led to the destruction of the tree. And did you know that deforestation is bad? Let us show it to you on screen for 25 minutes. And now you'll know. In this movie, you're going to learn that whaling is bad. Uh. <laughs> so the, the Navi in the, in the original movie were able to... They had these flying dragon thingies that they could ride on and, and stuff. And they would fight against the, the bad guys. Mm-hmm. In and, the end, and they I think they a, won. Yeah. So they have a really cool science fiction concept, which they use in this one too, where the Navi have these like long, like a one single long tendril out of the back of their head that has like nerve endings. And so they can pretty much plug in to whatever, like they could plug into like- Other animals, yeah. Yeah, they can, and they they perform like a neural bond. It's sort of the expansion of the fact that Pandora is all interconnected as sort of one mind. And they can, like, upload their memories to the magical trees. And they have this, you know, get it, everyone's connected. It's very deep and meaningful. And that was a cool science fiction concept. I like that a lot. And Right. And, and in the end of... of um, so one of the characters in the original movie was this guy named Jake Sully, mm-hmm. who was a Marine who had lost his legs. Or something. Only when he was an avatar, he was, like, fully had you know, all his legs and he could jump around and move and whatever. Mm-hmm. And at right. the end of... The movie, something magical happens where Jake basically becomes a Navi. Yeah, so Jake becomes. They use the mag. They use the magical tree connection to put to transfer Jake's mind from his human Soul. body to his avatar body. So the last shot of the first movie is him waking up as as his avatar, as Which a Navi, is, rather as a Navi. Yeah, no longer an avatar. Right. Which is like at the time was like really super like a super cool concept and I I liked that as a science fiction thing. I don't think it's aged particularly well. Oh come on, there's all kinds of ideas about transferring minds between things. I know you haven't seen the fly, have you? No, I know, and this is too probably too long of a conversation for the context of this podcast. But there's something not great about the like the like in someone from the like invading force like coming in and like literally becoming native. Like it's it's like a it's like a bad version of that trope, and it's like it, it's just not it's not a great it doesn't feel great when you decide to make your quote unquote native population of this planet be basically Native Americans, then you get into like these weird implications that are just, they're just not they're not good. It's also kind of basic. It's like oh we're gonna make natives. What are they gonna? They're gonna have bows and arrows. Like what? <laughs> They're on a planet somewhere out in the galaxy. They're going to have bows and arrows. <laughs> okay. Well, they fly on these dragons. The other thing that was weird about uh, Pandora, they had these mountains that were just floating in the air. Mm-hmm. Which, the Hallelujah uh, kind of Mountains, weird. yeah. That, I mean, that was cool. The thing about the Avatar universe is it has a lot of in- really interesting 
creative concepts. And well, unfortunately, they kind of hoist those creative concepts onto narrative arcs that are just not satisfying and are especially not satisfying in this movie. In the Avatar universe, in the, this movie and the previous one was visually very striking. Because right? mm -hmm. the, the people were kind of uh, interesting blue people, kind of. Sexy blue people. Yeah, we all love our sexy blue sexy people. Sexy blue people. Yeah. Yep. And um, the animals that would have lights at night and it's all these kinds yeah, of cool things. Yeah, a lot of bioluminescent stuff. Yeah, it was super cool. Yeah, I think the strongest thing for it has always been the visuals. And that, that continues in this movie. Again, it's like you have these like tons of money dumped into this visual stuff, obviously. Some creative thought into these like little concepts throughout. But then just like they went to like the generic story store. And like rattled around in the bargain bin and pulled out like you know oh we're gonna the first one's gonna be Pocahontas in space got it you know the second <laughs> one's gonna be every story you ever want all at once but none of them are interesting here you go <laughs> right so one of the things we'll talk about the plot of this new movie and don't worry about uh, spoilers because it, the movie it's is so predictable. predictable so so, it's so at no point in time was I surprised. <laughs> So the last movie ends when Jake becomes a real Navi, and this movie begins with short history of his family, right? So he gets mm -hmm. married to this Navi woman. Uh, Natiri, Natiri, I think. Natiri. Yeah, Natiri. She is really good with the bow. Yeah, so Natiri's in, so in the first movie, and she's played by Zoe Saldana. I'm assuming Zoe Saldana reprised her role for the second one. She's a main character in the first movie. She has, like, half the speaking lines. She's in almost, like, she's, like, she's a main character. She's not just a love interest, which is nice. In this movie, she's terribly sidelined. I'm not even sure they say her name in this movie. Yeah, I didn't remember her name. I don't, I didn't remember either. I don't I, think it's I, I in it dialogue. I don't think mm. it's in dialogue. I mean, she, like, has almost, I, I could probably write her all of her lines of dialogue on one page. Like she's, t and I don't know if that was like a scheduling thing with like the actor, or or I have a feeling it was more story thing because I'm sure she would have come back to do this role. But oh, now I'm questioning myself. Was it Zoe Saldana who played her? Wait, now I need to know because now I'm not sure. <laughs> who plays? Sorry, this is really good radio. In Avatar, yeah. In the first one, it's Zoe Saldana. Is it different? Oh, it might be different. No, it is Zoe Saldana still. Okay. Okay, I was right. I'm sorry. I just needed to. We, we're 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 committed to accuracy on history in reverse. <laughs> so. So anyway, so so yeah. the the movie begins with kind of short history of Jake and his family. When the movie really begins, he has four children, well, mm -hmm. three children, one adopted child. Yes. Right. He... So the three children are two sons. There's like old son and youngest son and and a young daughter. Mm -hmm. um, and. Reading some descriptions, I said this movie start begins ten years later, but it seems to be longer because, you know, the oldest son was more than ten. I mean, do we know if they age the same rate as humans? Or I mean, we don't I know. I suppose. Yeah, we don't know how long they age. The fact that they made his avatar like able to sexually reproduce is interesting. Like, why would they do that when they made his avatar? But okay. But the, the one it. interesting child in the in, off the bat is the magical destiny child, uh, Kiri. Kiri. So Kiri, yeah. in the first movie, there were several humans that used avatars. Jake was one of them, yeah. and he ultimately transfers into his avatar. There's another scientist who is played by that actor. Who's, what's her name? Sigourney Weaver. Sigourney Weaver. 
I don't know and who the character's name. The character name was Grace Augustine. Dr. Grace Augustine. Yes, Dr. Grace Augustine. So Dr. Grace Augustine dies in the first one. They try to save her by transferring her into her avatar, but it doesn't work. Uh, and she just kind of goes into the tree. But her avatar is maintained in its, like, pod in, like, the station for some reason. They just, like, kept a hold of it. And it randomly on its own gets pregnant, which is weird. Um, and some people have said, like, that's, like, a little disturbing. Uh, and it's like, eh, they could be. I could see that. But I think the implication is, like, some kind of ma- the magic of the planet somehow led to this, you know, Jesus child being born from the body of the, av- the avatar that has no consciousness. Oh, the other thing we should mention is that the Navi refer to the sort of power of the planet as Awa, which is a really simple play on Yahweh, which is the old word for God. <laughs> so it's Awa. It's easy to remember. So Kiri is kind of interesting off the bat because she seems to have like an extra special connection to Pandora and to Awa and right. that kind of right. stuff. And Jake and uh, Neatri uh, adopted her. Right. And everything is going great. They're having a good time. It's like a monologue in the beginning about happiness or something. But then, you know, the, the people coming for Anoptenium, still trying to get Anoptenium. So there's like a resistance movement led by Jake. Right. Well, so the humans come back. There's like a period of time where the humans aren't there, yada, yada. And then, boom, they're back. They start building bases. They build like a whole city. There's like a, we get like one city, shot of a city. And, and- yeah, and it trains, and, like, they're doing all this stuff on Pandora. They're deforesting. Again, deforestation is bad. And Jake is leading this, like, resistance movement. The Navi are getting, like, guns. And he's using his, obviously, his military training, his marine training, to sort of lead these things. But what I noticed several times in the movie that uh, Neytiri is really good with a bow and arrow. And, like, she can shoot a bow, an uh, arrow through, like, a window of, a, of one of all those airplanes. But they fly there, and it's like, you think by now... After a couple of times, they would realize they would put some stronger glass. Right, because in the first movie, <laughs> that's how they did it. That all the Navi were shooting through the window, the windows yeah. to shoot the pilots out. I mean, you'd think in the first movie that maybe they would have done something to help the army, the Marine veteran who can't walk, be able to walk again. I don't know if you remember in the very first movie, Jake's explanation for why he can't walk is that he was injured, but that his benefits wouldn't pay for the surgery to cure him. That's that's the explanation. Oh, was it? Okay. Yeah. It's a one-liner in the beginning, and he's like, yeah, they have surgeries that can help, like, help fix you, but uh, that doesn't, that's not covered on VA benefits. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> 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 can come up with a better explanation. <laughs> See, there's things about these movies that it's like, I feel like they are the first draft. Like, somebody wrote it, nobody proofread it, and they said, film it. This movie, Avatar Way of the Water, is very much that vibe. Very much that vibe. So, anyway... Uh, I guess the enemy in Avatar 1 was this uh, marine general or whatever. Mm-hmm. whatever. I don't know what his rank was. And he gets killed. Mm-hmm. Right. But then, but he then, comes back. Dun, dun, dun. He was backed up. His, his conscience or soul was backed up. Mm-hmm. And they put him into an, a navy body, an avatar, without... <gasps> Dun, so dun, he comes dun. back with a squad of his uh, buddies, all mm-hmm. as Navi, and they he's out for revenge. And like they so, obviously the humans want to stop Jake because he's leading these resistance things and like ruining their trains and stuff. But obviously, Marine guy he wants to stop him for that reason, but also to get revenge because he knows that Jake had something to do with his death. 
And you'd think that, like, discovering how he died and, like, the reason for his death might be, like, a movie-long plot of, like, growth and experience and learning. But it's uh-huh. not. It's not. Actually, he says, I wonder how I died. And the next scene, he finds out. So, <laughs> straightforward. He finds um, his body and he says, oh, I got shot. Okay. And then there was this other character, Spider. Mm. I was non- so confused by Spider. I didn't understand where he came from. All right. So, apparently... At the time when the humans had to leave, or the military had to leave, Spider was born. He was too little to be frozen for the space travel or whatever. Mm-hmm. So they left him. Mm-hmm. And whatever this small group of scientists remained, he remained on the planet. But and he was he, the general's son. Well, right. I forget who the mother was. Supposed to I don't be. think we know. I don't think that was in the first movie. That was, right, so I we, think, they so, had yeah, so we have, we have uh, one daughter who was born without a father. Mm-hmm. And you have a son that was born without a mother. Well, presumably he had a mother. We just don't know who it was. Right. Yeah. Anyway, so this kid basically kind of is buddies with the the four kids uh, of Jake's, Jake mm-hmm. and Neytiri. Right? Mm-hmm. And he runs around. You know, he kind of understands Navi ways, even though he's not a, an avatar. He's a human. So he mm-hmm. runs around with this mask because humans cannot breathe the air. And you'd think that would come up as a plot point sometime during this movie, that humans cannot breathe the air and maybe Spider would be in danger. But guess what doesn't happen? That. Well, he has his mask on all the time, so. <laughs> Not, so it never come, never, it, you'd think it's per, it's like Chekhov's gun, but nobody ever goes back and picks it up. I don't know. There's actually this anyway, interesting detail uh, yeah. with the general. When the general finds his own body, he finds that, like you were discussing, with the, the arrows being shot through, Natiri shooting the arrows through the window into their machines and killing them. That's how he died. Natiri had killed him. Right. Natiri killed So he finds her arrow in his like skeleton. And then throughout, they keep this throughout the movie, and this was a nice touch. Throughout the movie, every time she's around and she's shooting arrows nearby, Whenever he sees one of them, like they get they get stuck in a wall or something, and he looks at it and sees the fletching is like her arrow fletching, he like pauses and has like a panic, and has like a like he'll, he's hesitant, and it's like a it's a very interesting characterization of him. It's about the only characterization of him, but it's an interesting little detail that they they bring up. A, it comes mm, up a couple right. times. It's good visual storytelling. So anyway, when they get down this 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 crew of, of his name is Miles Quaid. That's the that's the general the people, guy. Yeah, that's his name. But I, mean, I, don't, I don't know, know if they ever used it. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe once or twice. People call him Colonel or something. Yeah, I think it's Colonel. Uh, anyway, maybe it's Colonel. They they go to like the the old uh, building where he was killed, and the kids, the four kids who are romping around the woods, see them. Oh no! What serendipity <laughs> of all the wo- all the gin joints, all the woods you could be at. Oh no. <laughs> And what happens? They try to kill them. There's some little fight. Jake and, and his wife have to rescue the kids. But they capture monkey. I mean, spider. I mean, the little mm-hmm. monkey guy. Somehow, the colonel realizes that's his son. Is it at that point or is it later? Yeah, it is somehow. I don't know. He has like a moment of recognition or something. I don't know. He, he recognizes him. But yeah, it's like, oh, no, they get captured and then they get freed. Oh no, would they be captured for the movie and part of the movie would be trying to get the kid? Uh, nope, nope. They get freed immediately. Great. <laughs> First draft. Well, so they do capture a spider, the, the human kid, and they try to get him to explain, like, you know, 
tell them, tell them what to find. Uh, Jake and and they have some hidden hiding places in various places in these floating mountains. Right, and it was at this point in time in the movie that I was like, okay, I know what's going to happen, and I'm not against this kind of plot, but I know what's going to happen. Spider and the Colonel are gonna, you know, the Colonel's going to force Spider to help them learn things about the Navi and learn things about Pandora, and through the process of learning these things and trying to find ways to overcome Jake, the Colonel and his crew. Are going to come they're also going to become true navi and come to love pandora and understand the great connection amongst everything and he and spider are going to bond as father and son and at the end they're not going to have to fight because they're going to become uh native as well um uh, that's uh, not uh, what uh, happens <laughs> <laughs> that's not what happens it would have been beautiful i would have loved it and the whole concept of like we're all connected and this great connection between all of us is so important and so magical and vital and, and powerful could have overcome this like desire for mild revenge or unobtainium or whale brains or whatever it is you're looking for. But we don't do that instead. We don't. We never we never get so there. Mean, meanwhile, while, while the colonel is interrogating uh, Spider, Jake comes back and realizes what's going on and he says, they're going to destroy all of us. So they're really after me and my family. So we're just going to leave. We're going to go into exile. Mm-hmm. So they pack everything up, jump on top of these flying dragons, mm-hmm. and off they go. And what's interesting is that the way that the the bad avatars, the human avatars that are trying to kill Jake, the way they figured out that Jake has kids is that Jake's avatar has different has five fingers. All the other Navi have four fingers total. And all of Jake's kids have five fingers. So they're identifiable. And, and other Navi call them half-breeds. So they're identifiable as being mixed between a, like a, a natural Navi and an avatar. See, I, I, did, I never realized that until much later, that, that the Navi had four fingers and the mm-hmm. humans had five. Yeah, it, it was it, because all the creatures on Pandora have like four limbs. Like the dragons have like four wings. The horses have... They, they have four or six. So like the dragons have four front wings and then two back legs the horses have two front leg uh, four front legs and two back legs they all have that except okay. the navi who just have the two arms and two legs but then their hands are four so i don't know yeah it's it's a, a good detail it's a, it's a good consistent world building kind of detail yeah. that's cool even though the story's bad so yeah so then they flee and flee across the ocean and they and there's a couple of moments in this movie where the the writing they use this one character the youngest daughter took the little the little girl mm-hmm. they use her for like comic relief which is fine she's like a kid whatever but there's times when I'm like where where am I like what movie am I watching because you'll have dialogue from some of them that's like so serious and so like on point for like what the Navi are like and then you have like took on the back of this dragon holding onto her mom and she goes are we there yet and it's like that's cute but where am I <laughs> I'm on Pandora. I'm not in the United States, you know? And there's lots of dialogue with that, especially with the teenage boys. It gets really, it really wonky with how they speak. Well, it's like the, the movie's trying to have some characters for each generation. So there's like the little kid, there's the teenagers, and then the, the adults. Right? But it, like dialogue-wise, it makes sense for Jake to speak like a human because that's, he's, and I, I understand it's like all, technically they're all speaking Navi, right? But right. You're translating that dialogue into English for your primarily Western audience, right? 
So it makes sense for Jake to speak like like we do, like here on Earth. But then you have like Neytiri and all the other adult Navi who speak in like a different cadence of sentence, like their sentences are different and they have an accent. And then you take the kids, the oldest son of the of the children has an accent and speaks in the cadence like Natiri. The second son is saying like dude and bro the whole movie. Then you have Kiri, the one with the magical destiny, who also is like she at one point in time Kiri calls somebody a perv. Where am I? What where it's Pandora? And then you have Took, who's like just comic relief and is like, I can't believe I was captured again. I, the the dialogue writing is like so all over the place. It's it's really it's really distracting and it's really world breaking because it's like how do the Navi speak? These children are born on Pandora. They might pick up some phrases from their dad, and like that could be that could be funny if they're like in the middle of their regular speech and then they use some word that dad uses or some phrase that dad uses. But overwhelmingly, they're going to sound like Neytiri and the other Navi around them because this is Pandora. This is not the United States. So it was very strange. Again, this is why I'm saying first draft. They wrote it. They said, sounds good. And then they produced it. That was it. Anyway, thank you for coming to my, anyway. my little rant. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so they go across the sea and they land on some island where there's another settlement of the Navi mm-hmm. who live clearly like in the water, kind of like Polynesia kind of a settlement. Mm-hmm. It's, and it's cool. The water must be pretty warm because they can hop into them. When they first arrived, there's this whole thing where they, the two chiefs and the two women. Uh... Uh, <laughs> I don't even know how to listen. This movie is like three hours long. It's more than that. It's like three hours and 15 or something. And it's like they went to, I've told you a little bit about tvtropes.com for anyone listening, tvtropes.com. It's just a collection of different tropes that you see in storytelling and tropes aren't necessarily bad. There's just that there are patterns that humans use in storytelling and that's fine. It happens. Some of them are bad though. And it's like they went to the tvtropes.com and like printed them out and cut them out and put them in a bucket and reached in and pulled out like a handful and said, we're going to do all of these. We're going to do all of these in every scene as much as possible. And the way they write women in this story boggles my mind. It's like, it's like they said, (laughs) how can we make it simultaneously as basic as possible and also as sexist as possible? Let's see how we can do that together. I know when the chieftain's wives meet, when the wives meet each other, both of whom are mothers, the one, one of them is pregnant at the time, the one of the water what? tribe uh, chief. Who knows what her name is? We don't know. We're never told those things. We don't get names. Rona. Uh, there you go. We get it from Wikipedia. Wikipedia. Yeah. <laughs> uh, when these two women meet, two women who have children, who are of different tribes, but are of the same race, who know that the world is being invaded by these outsiders. The, and Natira is coming with her four kids and saying, we are being hunted down we need to hide we basically need asylum um when these two women meet they're gonna fight because that's what women do when you put two women who have some kind of power next to each other they can't possibly get along they have to fight each other it's a trope called women are always catty it's very prevalent in fantasy and um science fiction and they they took it so far to the extent that like the navi actually they literally hiss at each other it's like something they do when they're mad right right but they have two women who are um, meet each other are immediately antagonistic for no reason. No reason. Neytiri is not a threat to them. They're not a threat to Neytiri. There's no reason to be antagonistic. Immediately antagonistic and literally hissing at each other. 
Like, it's literally all women are catty. And I was, like, watching it on my screen. Like, who did no one did no one take James Cameron to the side and be like, bud, maybe think about this more. You maybe just think about it because what's the uh, what ultimately happens? They have this confrontation and then what? And it's okay, you can stay. And then it's okay, they can stay. Why, why did they have to fight? <laughs> <laughs> and what, what does that what does that antagonistic relationship ever we'll amount teach to? We'll our in, ways. But what does that antagonistic relationship ever amount to in the story? Nothing. Nothing. Nothing ever happens. It's not even like they start out to be enemies and become friends. It just never goes anywhere. They're just antagonistic because. That's all the writers could think. All they could think is two powerful women who meet each other must be antagonistic. It's so insanely basic. I, I, I was just like losing my mind when I was watching this. I was like wanting to write notes in my phone while I was watching this movie. <laughs> but yeah, so they, they get to stay. Surprise. They get to stay. Then there's, there's a bit of a um, honeymoon period where they learn the ways of the water people, where they have to like... Oh my the- God. The, the water next animals scene. of various Wait, kinds. the next yeah. the next scene right after the moms are antagonistic with each other is that we get introduced to our love interest of the story, whose name I also don't know, who's the teenage girl, the scantily clad, right. blue, sexy blue teenage girl of the water people. And she... Do you remember when she comes out of the water? Vaguely. She walks out happens? of the she walks out of the water and like flips her hair and has like the water dripping down her, and the teenage boys are like ogling her. And I'm like, are we seriously doing this right now? <laughs> I'm like, what? Where am I? <laughs> Is this Baywatch? I don't understand. Well, maybe they expect uh, boys and dads to come to see this movie, not dads <laughs> and, and daughters. <laughs> but still it's so basic it's like oh you have a sexy blue alien oh is it in water oh no it's a sexy blue water alien like come on you have so much to work with and you just don't you just don't so yeah so then then the story actually gets kind of interesting because it becomes about the kids more so well right so i mean they're, they're they this honeymoon period they learn how to breathe underwater you know mm-hmm. Uh, so they can stay underwater for quite a long time, and they learn to ride under- various uh, flying dragons, fish, yeah. underwater dragons, whatever, <laughs> which kind of correspond to the flying dragons. Mm-hmm. And um, what's interesting about this scene, or these, this is like a montage of scenes where they're like learning these things. We see all four children learning skills. We see Jake learning skills. We do not see Natiri learning anything. Natiri is not shown during that montage, and I was very mad about that. She's got to learn it too. Like she's yeah, she was pretty good, yeah. Yeah, with why we don't get to see her learning to tame one of the underwater dragons. We don't get to see her learning how to use her hunting skills here. We don't get to see anything about how she folds into the society. We just she's just not on screen. And then there's and a there's scene, some teenage drama, right? Mm-hmm. The local boys and and the new boys kind of fighting each each other, mm-hmm. and getting in trouble. Because that's also what teenagers do. Teenagers just, all teenagers just pick on each other all the time. They're just bullies yeah, constantly. Yeah. And uh, basically one of the second youngest son, the second son winds up having a pet whale. Yeah, shenanigans ensue. And listen, I thought I was going to be a lot more afraid of this movie than I was because I'm very terrified of underwater creatures. <laughs> and I didn't like it when it opened its mouth very big. We didn't. I didn't look at the screen for that. But otherwise the underwater creatures weren't that frightening. Yeah, the, the whale reminded me a little bit of the worms on Dune, right? Yeah, it was a little bit of... And it reminded me of something else. Gosh, oh, I'll have to go back and think. There was something else from another video game. The the, the mouth being kind of triangle-shaped is like a pretty mm-hmm. common 
shaping mythical creature mouths. I don't know how else to describe it. <laughs> so the yeah, the second son ends up uh, the the dude bro son ends up dude broing it with a magical whale, and then there's yeah, this... basically it pulls out a uh, harpoon out of its fin and then that... there's this bizarre plot here where. Like, he, like, befriends this whale, and the whale's missing a particular fin. So when he gets home, he's like, yo, I was saved by this whale, and this looked like he was missing this fin. And everyone's like, you cannot touch that whale. He's exiled or something. What is it that they say? Right. He didn't have a pair or something. Like he, all the he, all the whales come in pairs. Yeah, they're paired up. Right. Well, they're like, he, he's, he's exiled because that whale is like a bad whale. He's a killer. Like, he kills... And the the whales are all peaceful except for this particular whale is is not peaceful. You can't be friends with that whale. And the teenage boy's like, he's different. You don't understand. He's bro. <laughs> he saved my life. And then th- that plot ends up becoming that he eventually bonds with the whale, which requires him to to be swallowed by the whale. Right. So in order and to he connects him, to the, it. His, his connection. His, yeah, he uses U- his, whale. uses his USB port and connects to the whale and sees the whale's memory. And wouldn't you know, it's the most straightforward thing ever. The whale was not the one responsible for the destruction that everyone thinks it was. It was really the humans. Oh, no. Sky I could people. have never it's... seen that coming. <laughs> <laughs> they actually hunt the whales. They hunt the whales. Are you telling me that whaling is bad? What? <laughs> I am shocked. <laughs> but wait, wait, wait. While the whale thing is happening, we we get a couple of scenes scattered here and there of Spider and the Colonel. And this is where I thought we were going to do something of them bonding or him like connecting to Pandora. But no, you know what we have instead? We have the Colonel as a as a as a Navi taming his own flying dragon thing in a scene that is literally almost identical to the scene from the first one when Jake tames his dragon. It's like, why did you show it to me if you were going to just copy and paste it? It's literally the same thing. Jake does the same thing in the first movie. He gets on the dragon. It jumps over the cliff. Everyone's like, oh, no, he died. And then, whoop, he pops back up. He didn't die. He connected with it. Woo! It's first draft. First draft. (laughs) Why? Why? It was like a seven-minute scene. It was long. Well, maybe it was a full seven minutes. It was like a five-minute scene. Yeah, I mean, because he was going to shoot the dragon and, and with some you know some drugs to to, to calm, calm, tame it and mm-hmm. and Spider says, oh, the Navi can do it by you know without any drugs. Ha mm-hmm. ha. He says, all right, I can do it too. <laughs> yeah, and then wouldn't you know, he does it too, and that's it. <laughs> surprise, surprise. So I'm shocked. So how do they find out that Jake is? Uh, where he is. Something happened. Uh, magical, our magical destiny child has a little a little, little touch of her magical destiny happens in this movie, and I was almost interested in it, and then they ruined it. So Kiri is, like, feeling Awa all the time. She's, like, with, like, yeah. we get lots of shots of her doing shit, like, she goes deep into the ocean, and, like, has, like, glowing fish around her, and they're, like, swirling, and she's, like, touching plants, and they're, like, reacting to her, and she's, like, ooh, I'm magic, right? So they bring her to the magic underwater tree. The sacred place. Yeah. The the underwater tree. The magic underwater tree, exactly. And they're like, come check out our magic underwater tree. You're going to love this. And so they all connect with the little USB ports. And she has a really extreme reaction. And this is when she has her dream. 
And this is the one scene that lets this movie pass the Bechdel test. <laughs> so they, she has this vision where she talks to um, her mom, uh, Dr. Augustine, you said? Yeah. Grace Augustine. Grace Augustine. She has a, a vision where she talks to her mom and they ser- they share a few lines of dialogue. And then what's happening in real life is that Kiri's having a seizure underwater. And it's really dangerous because she's like drowning. And then they bring her back to the village. And that's when Jake calls the scientists, like the human scientists that are still on Pandora to come and help Kiri and try to have her regain consciousness. And you might think, wow, magical unconsciousness. This sounds like a plot point that's going to like lead to some kind of narrative arc and going to be something difficult that they have to overcome. And the answer is no, it's not. She wakes up. <laughs> well, no, but this, the scientists, whatever it is they do, that's work. We don't, and, I mean, we don't really know because they're like doing stuff and then they get shooed away by uh, the chieftain's the wife. Women, the mother and yeah. the chieftain's wife. And the chieftain's wife does some magical pounding on her back. Yeah, she, like, pokes her, and then she wakes up. So it's like, did she wake up from the poking, or did she just wake up? Or did she wake up from what the scientists were doing? I don't know. Like, it's not really clear. It's not. They don't yeah, do, yeah. like, magic magic. They do, like, I'm touching you with herbs magic. So. But the, the scientists flew down there in the machine, right? So I guess that's how they got tried. Right, exactly. So then, so then, then the colonel basically gets a ship going, saying, oh, we're going to go there and see if we can find him. And, says, mm-hmm. and the guy whose ship they're using is he? It's a whaling ship, right? So he says, "I have quotas, you know." Oh, You're I, gonna make I have cap. There. I have capitalism still. I need to do my capitalism. What are you? What are you doing? <laughs> You're interrupting my capitalism in the future. Oh man, it's, it's bad to be a capitalist these days with the military commandeering my ship. Yeah. So anyway, so they go down on the ship and uh, on the way that they have a whale hunt. <laughs> this is when it becomes Moby Dick for like 25 minutes, yeah? <laughs> right. Oh, and, and it's uh, so depressing. They're like, we're going to hunt the whale. We're going to target the mother in the pack of whales because she won't. She has a new calf and she won't swim away fast because she has the calf. Then they kill the mom in front of the calf and the calf is like, mom! And then then they go inside the whale and what do they what do they harvest? They harvest some brain juice, some magic brain juice, <laughs> about, you know, like a, two glasses of it or something. Mm-hmm. And saying, this is the most desirable substance in the universe. Mm-hmm. You know, this thing is worth, you know, quantillion something or others. Mm-hmm. Because it because stops it humans, it stops human from, aging. Yeah. So I want to just, I want to let everybody know, we are a solid hour and 45 minutes into the movie before this comes up. That's right. So, like, the reason for the humans being there and still doing stuff like this is not mentioned for an hour and 45 minutes. And then you'd think this was a really important plot point that would lead to some kind of narrative arc and get you somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) I'm detecting a pattern. (laughs) You'd think this would get you somewhere, but it never comes up again. This is it. You get one scene an hour and 45 minutes in, and then nobody ever talks about it again. Well, but they had to show you all the whaling uh, technology, right? They had, they had the boats with the harpoons, the submarines, mm-hmm. uh, 
I mean, there were submarines or something else. There were like like I guess surface boats and submarines. Yeah. And a big boat. I mean, they had a pretty pretty neat operation there. I mean, it was pretty effective. But I mean, one of the things too about these whales that we learn, I think, just before the whale hunt, uh, just to make it sadder, mm-hmm. is that these whales have like a, a spiritual connection with the water navi. And they all have, like, they, like, do this migration where they come back, like, every year to, like, visit. And they can communicate. The Navi and these whales can speak. And then we learn during the harvesting of the whale brain portion that these whales are not only highly intelligent. I wonder where they got that from. uh, (laughs) But they're probably more intelligent than the humanoid species, than both the Navi and the humans. Like, their brains are much more advanced. So it's also this just, like, there's this like theme in the Avatar movies thus far, and I assume it's going to continue, which is just this like disregard for the not only just the sanctity of life, but like the sanctity of like intelligent life by your like future human capitalists. And I don't know if that's like to a point, you know. I guess, I guess the point is greed is bad. I mean, it's very basic. It's it's very this is like an eighth grade book report, you know. It's it's very straightforward, you know. It's like. It's like, when, what was the book that we covered that had kind of easy... Th- 1984 has, like, mm-hmm. a bunch of, like, easy 8th grade book report kind of themes. But then it has this, like, layer of, like, a meta commentary that's, like, gorgeous. This movie is just the 8th grade book report themes. Not particularly well executed. So, so you get sad whales for about 45 minutes. And then the final battle. Which is, like, an hour. It's, like, so and- long. I actually read a commentary from James Cameron when he says they took out a whole bunch of fighting scenes because he didn't want to be too violent. James Cameron so also lo- said James Cameron also said some stupid things about Native Americans. I should have sent this to you beforehand because I'm sure you'd have opinions because you know more about Native Americans than I do. Yes. Um, he said that he said like Native Americans, if Native Americans could have seen like the suicide rates among their people now, like if they could have seen that back in the day. Maybe they would have fought harder to not be conquered. And everyone was like, um, what? Because <laughs> no, he was no. talking about the Navi fighting If you could back. see me, I am holding my head. Yeah. I am literally holding my head. This is what I'm saying. It's like you can... We're almost done talking about the plot, so we'll get into this more. But these problems with like the creator and the writers and stuff like leak into the script. And then we get these problems with this, this narrative. But anyway... So anyway, the so there's a grand, grand battle, right? So basically, somebody dies who was like a nice character that shouldn't be dying. Right? I mean, Everybody's we can. Very sad. We can say it, right? We're not. I mean, we're spoiled yeah, I mean, by it's, now. It's very predictable. It's very predictable. It's the it's the oldest son who was the perfect son and the perfect warrior, and he dies saving his siblings. So sad. Everybody sad and cries. And this is another trope. We're going to reach into our trope jar and pull out a beautiful another trope. It's called, well, it's, it goes by several different names. Colloquially, we call it womb syndrome, womb syndrome, which oh. is when female characters um, are completely controlled by the fact that they're mothers, where like everything else about their character falls away because they're a mother. And so mo- now they must act. And that happens to Neytiri, Neytiri, who's basically absent from this movie her oldest son dies, and suddenly she's like, hold on, now the fight's serious. Not not the part about them hunting the giant mystical whales, not the part about the sky people coming and killing other Navi, 
Not the part about me being chased from my home. Not the part about the fact that these people previously killed Home Tree just like 10 years ago. Not the fact that they're mining on my planet and destroying the ecosystem and breaking up. Not any of that, but my son died. So this is really now a very serious battle and I'm going to go in there and give him my all. And she has this like, this scene when he dies where I know they were trying to be dramatic and sad or whatever where she's like screaming because he's dying. But first of all, we got barely any characterization on this kid. So what he's he's a fake person who's dead on my screen i'm not that sad two (laughs) it's just like she's barely been on screen and you only trot her out when she needs to fight with another woman or be sad that her kid is dead and she shot down a whole bunch of all these ornithopters shooting the guys through after he died before as well in the very beginning she 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 does you're right in the very beginning of battle she does yes she does that that one trick but it's like that's it you know And, and it's like Oh, she's a mom, so her whole story has to be about being a mom. She loses all of her, like, having been the chieftain's daughter, all of her seriousness about protecting her people, all of her identity as a Navi, all of that's out the window, because now she's a mom. Basic. Yeah, and so anyway, so there's, uh, the colonel captures the various children at various points throughout this big fight and is trying to get mm-hmm. Jake to come to him to have a final big boss battle. Mm-hmm. And... <laughs> Exactly. And they do have it, and apparently Jake wins. He doesn't dismember the, the colonel, though. He just kind of chokes him, and the guy sinks to the bottom. It's very unclear how long it takes Navi to drown, because there's a lot well, of like, near if, drownings. If you, if you know how to breathe. Right. So the mother and Tuck get trapped underwater like in, in an air packet in a, in a sinking ship, right. and is saved by Kiri and her magical fish. Yes, so Kiri's magical destiny, which you might have thought would have a narrative purpose, amounts to the fact that she can cast spells now. So she can cast <laughs> Blinding Light, and she can cast Find, and uh, she can also use a she magical... She can pull a butterfly on her back, and she, she can, can use a magical underwater butterfly, and that magical underwater butterfly gives you air underwater. So there you go. That's her magical her magical destiny was to save her mother and sister from being trapped in an air pocket in a ship where they just decided to drown. They just said, okay, this is where we drown. (laughs) Meanwhile, Jake is having the final boss battle with the colonel. Natiri killed the colonel the first time. She should have been there to kill him. She should have been the one to kill him the second time. Yeah, I actually expected that. I expected that she would kill him. Yeah. But that would kill the next Avatar 3. So, right, because what? So, because who say who actually saves the colonel? Colonel doesn't die. Colonel is kind of sitting on the bottom of the ocean, and then Spider realizes his dad is down, you know, quote unquote dad mm-hmm. is down in the bottom, and he brings him up to the surface, and he's not dead. Yeah, and, which would have made more sense if my thought on the story had happened. If they had had bonding, if they had bonded, and bonded with their connection with Pandora. And even if you want to have the big final battle and the colonel can still be like, you know, he's bonded with Pandora, but he can't overcome his hatred for Jake. So he has to have this battle. If Spider and he had had bonded in some fashion, Spider saving him would make sense. But Spider saving him makes no sense. None. <laughs> Am I wrong? Does it make any sense? Yeah. Yeah. So he lives. And then I forget. And the where ship they... sinks and that's the end. Right? The ship sinks. And then what happens? What's the ending of this figure movie? They don't go back to the woods, do they? 
No, they they like are accepted into the tribe or something, right? They're like you are yeah. you are water people. Yeah. The cool thing about the movie, I mean, it was I found it enjoyable, but it wasn't particularly deep. Or... The fact that we summarized a three hour and fifteen movie in about forty minutes and didn't miss anything, <laughs> I think indicates the problem with the movie. <laughs> It was visually quite striking. So a mm -hmm. lot of the, the like scenery, this time underwater, with all the animals and plants and stuff. Similarly, like it was in the first movie, in the, in the woods, it's very striking. It's kind of borderline beautiful. Kind of oh, yeah, stuff. definitely. Mm -hmm. But like the contrast is, you know, like when they showed the human city, it was like all the, the dusty and ugly and, and, and mm -hmm. machines and, and stuff. And it's like, oh, come on, you know. Then they had some people with sense who came there. You know, all these, right. these, these naive scientists who wanted to do something or other. I think, I think what you're hitting on though is a really important point. So the problem, one of the underlying fundamental problems with the Avatar universe is that all of its characters are stereotypes. All of its characters, including its human characters. Because the military comes in. And they're the military. They're strong. They're tough. They want to mine. They want to beat down the natives, take control, cut the trees. You know, the capitalists are like, we just want to sell stuff. We don't care about killing the whales. The scientists are like, oh, we're just meek. We're scientists. We just want to study. We don't have anything. Oh, I mean, when we get one of those in this movie too, the whale scientist, there's this character who I feel like probably has scenes on the cutting room oh, right, floor. Right. He was really interesting. He's like this whale scientist, a marine biologist. A marine um, xenobiologist who's on Pandora studying these whales, but the only way he can get to these whales is to be on a whaling ship where they're killing the whales. And it's like, I, I'm interested in his story. Like, that's like he, he was kind of between a rock and a hard place. There's no other way for him to research these whales besides being there when they're being murdered. Right. And he has some great lines in there, but it's also very generic. It's like, oh, the scientist, all the scientist does is study, doesn't have you know, control over anything or political opinions or try to fight anything or any kind of heroism, nothing like that. The military people fight and are tough. The capitalists want to do anything for the money. Ignoring the fact that, like, in real life, people are so multidimensional, you know, and like, like, like you're saying, the people building the city on Pandora, that's a great point. Why would you have to kill the entire forest in a huge area where you're actually creating a sandy desert? in the middle of a forested area of Pandora to build a human city. Human cities also need trees and grass. Well, so I doubt James Cameron would have an answer for this, but remember we read this book called Bios? Yeah, a long time ago. I liked Bios. Yeah, we should maybe read it again. Yeah. It was about a planet that was essentially the, the flora and the fauna were, were lethal to humans. Right. right. So you, if, if you got exposed to the air or the bacteria or the animals, you would immediately die. Right. Yes. So Pandora has a little bit of that. Like, you know, humans cannot breathe the air. So oh, they have, to have a dome. Yes. But the other thing we learned in this movie, which I completely forgot in all of, you know, the wonderful plot that we were just describing, is that the reason humans are building on Pandora is because they're trying to colonize it. They're trying to make it the new Earth. Because they've irre irreparably killed Earth and they can't live there anymore. So they're trying to colonize a planet whose atmosphere they cannot breathe. Someone make it make sense. 
Well, you know, it's maybe that's the only planet they could find with the atmosphere close enough. So. It doesn't matter if it's close enough. It's not breathable. It's, it's, it's I, I mean, unless the plan is to, like, I mean, maybe, maybe this will come up in the movies. Maybe the plan is to like completely terraform Pandora and just, like, wipe it out and start a whole new ecosystem, which is, like, if you could do that, then why can't you fix Earth? You know? If you that's can, if you can. Yeah. Terraform Earth. <laughs> Right? Like, if you can terraform Pandora, why can't you fix Earth? You know, if you can, if you can have, you know, machine exoskeletons for well, your army no, people, why can't you make this guy walk? Like, you know, they, these, these things they are incompatible. Any, they don't have any unobtainium on Earth, so that's oh, why. Of course, of course, I forgot about the unobtainium. They need some spice. <laughs> that's what they need. They need to go to do and right. get some spice. <laughs> but I think the, char- the characters being stereotypical is such a problem it's such a weakness in this in both the first movie and the second movie more so in the second movie because viewers have become smarter and more savvy to these things because we've seen it before nothing i mean it's not it's not just savvy it's just simply it's just predictable and it's like right you know at least first time around the 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 novelty of the world was kind of struck you Mm mm-hmm a lot. And here it was just variation. So instead of trees, it's in the underwater. Now it's an underwater tree. Exactly. But like, think about like the plot, like the narrative. What, what in this movie have we not seen in another movie before? Plot-wise, nothing. The visuals, sure. Visuals, yeah. Everything else, every other plot point I've seen. I've seen women being catty with each other. I've seen a father trying to protect his family. Oh my god. Which Jake says as like a like a voiceover multiple times in the movie. He's like, a father's job is to protect his family. I'm like, you really bringing that toxic masculinity into the future there, Jake? Yeah, great. We love it. We love Actually, it. Actually, no, I remember. I remember at the very end, he said. So what we have learned today is that we're not going to run away anymore. We're going to stand up and fight. <laughs> Wasn't that what you were doing, bud? That's yeah, what why, you were doing. why didn't you do it before? You know? Right. You were doing it with the tree people pretty good. <laughs> You're doing a pretty good job. The other thing I think about about this, this uh, I think an underlying problem is, top three underlying problems, is that the world building has not been thought through to its logical conclusion in a lot of ways. So you have these cool bits and pieces plugging into the trees that's neat big world connection. I'm here for that. I love that kind of science fiction, mm. big brain kind of uh, concept. But then you have the Navi, and we know from the way they speak that their connection is sort of, they see it as sort of spiritual. It seems to be an actual like science fiction kind of connection, but they also have a sort of spirituality about it. And they refer to that as the mother Awa. And it's mm-hmm. their their god is female, is a, a female woman god, right? They identify their god as a woman. And yet, all of the Navi societies we see are patriarchal. Yeah. And that doesn't make any sense. Because the the patriarchal societies on Earth developed and are reflected in religions. Or are not reflected in religions for matriarchal societies. Those kind of things develop alongside each other. It doesn't make any sense that, like, they're only God. They don't have, like, a pantheon of gods with, like, lots of options. They don't seem to have, like, different sects of their Awa thing. They're all into Awa. It's Awa all the time. It doesn't make any sense. That, it's like the Force. Yeah, it's like the Force, but they've gendered it. They've specifically, as a society, have gendered it and understand also the importance of connection between people, which is related to birth, mm. right? Which So that like, that kind of makes sense that their 
they see their god as female because of that. Like that follows. So then, but then you have male chieftains, you know, in all of the places we see, because Neytiri was the daughter of the last chief. Right. So the the whole idea of a chieftain and a king and stuff that's a very very Western mm-hmm. idea. So in fact, again, like I. I told you I just read this very long book about called Dawn of Everything, which covered a lot of the early societies, especially especially some of the in, in North America. Mm-hmm. There were there was not really that kind of hierarchical organization. So there were maybe like a bunch of elders who might be con, uh, consulted on some decisions, but very often they included women. They were very mm-hmm. they, they were much more matriarchal. I guess part of it comes with the idea of owning property mm-hmm. right? because when you don't have property inheritance doesn't matter when you own when you don't have property then there is no question of inheritance mm-hmm. so then those kinds of things are not that important right and i i think in the original and it's like it's not that you can't have like a leader of the your particular tribe of navi or whoever it is you want to do it but i just don't think it was thought through to a logical it wasn't thought through logically you know, these are, as far as we know, the Navi don't have currency. These are not, they're not landed gentry. Right. You know, they're they're living in, like, this very communal sort of, you know, socialist utopia Well, they're living in their own environment when there is no scarcity. The sea provides or the forest provides. Right, so, exactly. Yeah. And, and like, the, their, their primary threat is the nature around them, not each other. Right. So... It doesn't, th- that kind of structure doesn't make any sense. Like, it, it's, and it's so jarring to, like, have our characters, first of all, to have our main character be, like, a f- like voiceovering. A father's job is to protect, and I will protect, and I will, like, like this doesn't make any sense. Especially, like, I get it if what I was, like, when he first got there, but he's been there for, like, a decade. He's, like, got married. He's got kids there. Like, at a certain point in time, you gotta leave that other stuff behind, man. Like, Get over your trauma. Go to therapy. Like, get move on. You know, you're not you're not comparing your masculinity to the other Navi over here. Like, you're you're good. These concepts of these like very Western, like you were saying, concepts of masculinity and femininity that are plastered onto the Navi, just undermine it and just make it seem thin. Like it's the society appears thinner. You know what I mean? Like it if it, it feels yeah yeah. I mean, it's just blue people basically. It's, I mean, that, that happens in a lot of science fiction stories where it, it's difficult to invent a whole new culture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I, mean, I think that's one of the things that this suffers from because we now, as an audience, expect that because we, we have stories like that now. You know, we have things like, you have universes like Star Trek that are so sprawling because they've existed for so long. And you have so many options. You have Star Wars, which is so sprawling. You know, you have all, all these things that are coming out and, and new stories that are coming out, new movies that are coming out that are so, I mean, with the last one we did, Psalm for the Wild Built. Fascinating. What a, a fascinating concept of society. And those are just humans on earth, right? Yeah. Well, not earth. I'm sorry. Some, some kind of moon. It wasn't earth. And like, that's the kind of thing people are into and rightly so, because it's new and that's how you can yeah, get Yeah, and you're right. It's, it's in some ways, this feels kind of very old. Right, that's the all, thing. Not, not all dated. Dated. The, the plot is very dated. You know, the visuals are kind of cool, but that's about it. Yeah. And it didn't seem... I don't know. It was just, It's unfortunate because, again, there's these great science fiction concepts. And, like, 
they just when you take when you take a, a dated narrative and load it up with like cool science fiction concepts it's still a dated narrative and it doesn't work with your science fiction concept like the fact that Neytiri's father had been chief and he dies in the first movie and he gives her his right. like big fancy bow it's a very important bow that then breaks in it's this broken. movie and it means who knows what nothing why wouldn't she take over as leader you know if he was so important and she was important to that Navi tribe, we know from the first movie she's very important, why wouldn't she take over? I would watch that movie. I would love to watch that movie. You know, and then if Jake is being chased and he's like, look, they're coming after me. I can't stay here. And then maybe the movie's about how he has to leave. Because why did he have to move his whole family? He could have just left himself. But, or maybe it's something about how they have to separate and she stays with them and he's like, whatever. Like, there's like, you know, do something with these characters that isn't just generic. Well, I'm wondering if, if what happened was that you know James Cameron got kind of fell in love with the the world and visual world, and mm-hmm. just wanted to show more of it. And, I think what happened, <laughs> if I were to speculate, and I will, because that's my podcast and I can, uh, <laughs> I would say James Cameron came up with the world and the kind of the ideas for these stories about two decades ago, and didn't get to produce the one until. It came out in 2010 and didn't get to produce this one until over a decade later. And those stories that he came up with worked when he came up with them, but no longer work now. But even something like Star Wars, like I find Star Wars a little bit kind of silly. Star Wars is basic too, yeah. You know, Star Trek is different in the sense that because they travel from planet to planet, they can just upend the whole thing Mm -hmm. and come up something completely different and new. And it just fits into the the universe because you're not in one place. I mean, mm-hmm. Star Wars could do something this similar, but they, they don't. Star Trek also kind of has a, an origin story of being like um, having a liberal agenda. <laughs> I mean, that was kind of the idea. So Woke it, agenda. It does. It does have a woke agenda, and that's why we love it. Uh, so Star Trek is sort of purposefully pushing those boundaries. You know, they have episodes in all of the Star Treks about different um, races, different genders, different sexualities, different, like, whatever whatever it is, different political stuff, you know, immigrants, all, all kinds of stuff like that. So, but they, that kind of is baked in because Gene Roddenberry made Star Trek with that purpose. But, I mean, that's the kind of thing I think modern viewers are looking for, and not, not necessarily in a heavy-handed kind of way. You know, I'm not saying you should have the Navi chief didn't stand up and say, there shall be universal health care for everyone. You know, like, it's not like that. <laughs> but give me a more complicated story. They had the perfect character for that in this with Kiri, the magical destiny child. I'm all for you having a character who has a magical destiny. Science fiction magic is included. She has some kind of magical destiny. If you're going to include it, you have to include it in this movie. You can't include it like a quarter of the way in this movie and then promise me I'm getting four more movies and it'll happen then, you know? Because it's like they obviously set it up, but they set up a bunch of stuff in this movie that didn't actually come to fruition. It's like at some point you have to tell me the story. Yeah, I think probably has problems with cutting things out. So Again, like I said, the, the one part I read about what he was saying is that there were lots of fighting violent scenes where he decided to just cut them out. Good. We didn't need them. We needed more like, right. we needed like a revision of the script. <laughs> Hire one person who speaks this language and have them revise your script. <laughs> like, you don't, you don't need more visuals of the whale dying. I get it. Like, it's bad. 
I don't want to see it either. It's like there's some, when you're going to show violence on screen, and this comes up a lot with uh, modern shows like Game of Thrones, House of the Dragon, that kind of stuff. You're going to show me violence on screen. You better have a damn good reason to do it because it's not pleasant. People, the vast majority right. of people don't like to watch it. So if you're going to be doing it, it better have a point. And I don't know, what was the point of killing the whale? The sky people are bad? Did we not know that already? Well, I guess they had to have something why they're there still. Because they didn't mention unobtainium. So they had to. How, and how come all these fancy substances exist only on Pandora? And that at least I can buy. That it's, it's a magical science fiction planet. And there's magical new elements that we don't have on Earth. And therefore, there's that. Like, I can get that science fiction magic. But, like, killing the whale. You can tell me you killed the whale without showing me. You can imply you killed the whale without showing me. Right. You know, it's kind of like in the first movie, there was a very effective violent scene when they destroy Home Tree, I think it is, the, like the big tree where all the Navi live to get to the unobtainium underneath. It was very effective because you think the Navi are going to save Home Tree. Everyone's fighting, the Navi are all fighting back, they're trying to defend it, whatever, and then they don't because the humans are just so much more powerful. And it's terrifying, it's a sad scene. It's depressing. You've got Neytiri like screaming and crying. Her father's dying. Home trees falling down. Their whole society's being destroyed, and it's it's horrifying, but in the correct way. It's like I needed to see that to understand this danger, to understand the impact on this character, to get your themes and your narrative. You could cut out the whale hunt from this movie. Nothing changes. Well, I mean, in the first movie, the the final battle was like the, all of the Earth's army that was there came to fight, right? That was like Whereas the spirit this, tree, yeah. Yeah, and this one was just one whaling ship. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> we really downgraded. <laughs> no, I mean, that's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. It really is a much smaller scale when you think about it. Mm. Unless, like, I, and I guess I was talking to you about this right afterwards. I think one of the problems this movie had, this particular movie had, was that it couldn't decide who it was about. Because it right. wanted to be about the whole family, except Neytiri. It didn't want to be about Neytiri. It wanted to be about the whole family. But in this kind of situation, I think you either have to have a movie that's about the parents who now have children, or it's about the children who are the children of those parents you know. you got to focus somewhere. you got to give me some kind of main character something. Because who's the main character? Well, Jake is kind of the focus of the thing, but I mean, he's kind of... He's not in half the movie. There's a solid there's hour of screen time where he's not on screen. That's true, where the kids are. Where the kids are. You know, so it's like, that's why I thought Kiri was going to be our... And it's like, look, if you're going to do five movies, you got four You got four kids. Give me a movie per kid. Make it work. Well, now, well, now there's only three. So this one could have been about the oldest son. You know, and then yeah. our main character dies at the end. That could have been dramatic, and then I would have cared. You know, he sacrifices <laughs> himself for something. Then it, then it would have mattered. But it's like... The narrative structure of it is so lost that there's you can't you can't tell. I don't want to say you can't tell a story with this many characters because I think in the hands of better writers you probably can, yeah. but you can't do it this way. There's also just stuff that like random complaints, voiceovers. What what are we in the nineties? We don't do that anymore. We don't do introductions with voiceovers. Like they don't even do that in Disney animated movies anymore. So. <laughs> I'm like, if you have to start your three hour and 15 movie, minute movie by having your character summarize what's been happening for the past 10 years in a voiceover while his kids frolic in the in the forest and look happy and everything is great, 
put that first draft down, wait a few <laughs> months, come back to it. Because what a terrible way to start a movie. The first, like, 15, 20 minutes is just this, like, awful, like, blah. It's boring. It wasn't that long, but there were some, some really silly things, like where they're posing for pictures. Yeah. Right? And I'm like, oh cameras. no, this looks so idyllic and wonderful. I hope nothing happens to disturb this wonderfulness. <laughs> and he's like voiceovering about happiness. He's like, happiness is where you find it. And happiness is this. And I'm like, Jake, what? What, what buddy? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Let me think. All right, so do you recommend that people should go see this movie or not? So I do. I do think you should go see it. because Not because it's good, because it's not but so that you can get an understanding of why it's not good. Well, I think you also see it because it's visually very... It's very pretty. It's very pretty. I think that that is worth it. I mean, the money that they spent on the, the graphics and the design was It's more well like Disney, you know. You know what I thought was really good, actually, in this movie, and I meant to tell you this. The um, designs of the Earth ships and the Earth technology I thought was really cool. Like, they have a couple shots of the ships arriving... And mm. like the way that the, the, the I've always, I'm always interested in the way they design future human ships. And I thought that was mm -hmm. very well done. So then they do stupid. They always ruin it. Do you remember the scene in the beginning where the earth ships arrive and they're landing and as they're like, they're coming to land. And the only way in the future that we can get ships to land on a planet is for a, a giant ball of fire to come out of the bottom of the ship as it lands. That's the only way. And it burns up all the whole forest. And it clears the area. I, that must be where they build a city. So they land, and it's just like, they're like, oh, no, the fire. And the, and Jake's like, they're landing. And I'm like, is this the only way we can land? How do we land ships on Earth? Do we just not land ships on Earth? Like, we haven't figured out, well, we figured I mean, out interstellar you know, space travel, but not, like, how to land without fire. Exactly. And rockets kind of do land that way, so they do burn stuff. They, they land that way now way. in 2022. This is in the distant future with avatars and capsules and who knows what kind of time dilation happening. <laughs> <laughs> Something uh, you said made me think of this. So you said, you know, it's like an old plot kind of drafted onto a brand new movie. Mm -hmm. If we do Tempest and Forbidden Planet, mm -hmm. it would be an old plot drafted onto a more recent movie mm -hmm. it might be interesting to see how that works out yeah i mean i don't think it's impossible i think there are some there are some plots that are i mean there's tons of rehashing particularly in science fiction and there are some plots that may maintain levels of interest and maintain levels of relevancy but there are some that don't <laughs> you know i i think like disney's making all these live action remakes of various movies they're not make, remaking a live action pocahontas i don't think they can I think if they tried to, they'd be they'd have a really rough time because everybody knows that the Pocahontas Disney movie is not what happened in real life and had well, a lot of problems. And Avatar the first one is more is like Pocahontas. So it's like, oh, you can go and like befriend the natives and like become one of them and that's good. Like, ugh. Is it? The other thing is I don't I don't have an opinion on this, but I don't feel like I'm educated enough to have an opinion on this. But I, I would love to read, and you sent me an article to read, and I didn't read the whole thing, so I don't know if they covered it in there. I would love to read someone's analysis of the hairstyles in this movie, because I feel like they're 
they bother me. It bothers me that the sexy blue people have dreads or have locks. It it bo- it does. It bothers me that the sexy blue the sexy blue natives that we found have oh, bra- braids. It, it it concerns me. Again, it's generic. It's part of that like you know, James Cameron and his writers said, "How do we make people look native?" And their answer was to give them locks and braids. So that that concern that's a very that's a very western thing to do and i don't it doesn't feel great i just don't feel i'm not educated enough to like do a full analysis of that but i would love to read somebody doing an analysis of that it's that concerning it, it it bothered me in the first movie too it was something i noticed in the first movie but more so here but yeah go see it because it's a pretty um it's fun but it's besides the depth of the water there isn't much of depth in it <laughs> <laughs> The deepest part of this movie is the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, though. <laughs> All right, let's wrap up. Um, okay, do we know what we're going to do next? Well, we were talking about doing Tempest and yeah. the Forbidden Planet, so why don't we do that? Yes, that, that is what we should do. Yes, I agree. And uh, I'm going to plug my other podcasts while we're here because uh, the one's happening. So if anyone's interested in analysis of House of the Dragon... Um, check out Unabashed Book Snobbery wherever you get your podcasts we are covering each episode one a week Um, I'm doing it with Kylie and Julia who I did the Game of Thrones podcast with back in the day they they haven't seen the show House of the Dragon I have so it's been very fun to get their reactions and we like it, it's a good show and check out um, my other podcast Gaze, G-A-Z-E it's on SoundCloud and Spotify that's with my friend Jen who's a lawyer and uh, another lawyer and we watch various uh gay media and then and analyze it i think we just did um the fear street trilogy we did a league of their own we did do revenge and we've just done, i think we've done like 10 or so episodes of that and that's on soundcloud and spotify okay thanks everyone well, for joining us at history in reverse and uh we'll see you next time okay. bye, bye. bye.